Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. This is episode 53, which means Dominique and I are starting our second year of podcasting. We're continuing our celebration of this milestone with a special event. As you'll recall from last week, we invited all the guests that we had on the podcast in 2018 to gather with us around a virtual kitchen table. Or if you prefer the image of us all sitting together near a blazing fire, that works too. We invited Hannah Branigan, Nancy Kelly, Michaela Hempen, Cindy Martin, Mary Concannon, and Jane Jackson to join us in a discussion that centered around one of Dominique's favorite topics, and that's how do you build duration in a behavior? Michaela and I had just finished describing a process for extending duration by cueing units of behavior. This technique comes to us from another great trainer, and that's Kay Lawrence. So we were just about to shift from this type of how-to type of questions, how do you extend duration, to another equally important topic. Lots of people struggle with duration, not really so much because they don't know, in theory at least, how to extend the duration of behavior, but it's more that they're not entirely comfortable asking for more. And so that was the question. Are you comfortable asking for more? Cindy Martin was about to jump into the conversation when I cued the music. I made you wait until this week to find out what our panelists had to say on this topic. So we'll rewind just a little to get you back into the conversation. And then we'll pick up again where we left off. Enjoy. I think one of the questions that comes up with duration is, and it's it's not a strategy question, it's a, are you comfortable asking your horse f- to do more? More, I know. <laughs> and I think that's in part where you get tripped up. I think you're right. It is true that sometimes... I'm thinking, oh, if I ask too much, he's going to get frustrated. And, you know, he's, that's not what I want him to feel when he's with me. Right. I'm sure I'm not the only one. (laughs) Right. But that, I think that is where things get stuck. So it's not that you don't know how to build duration, but you're, that you're not sure you should build duration. Can I jump in and say something? Absolutely. I've fiddled around with this quite a bit. And of course, Alex knows my learners. And some of them are not what you would call the um, high octane, super fast learners, thinking of my dogs. What I found, Dominique, really helped me with some of this was essentially Alex's micro shaping strategy. So I will work on duration a little bit, and then I will take a moment and cue some really simple, 
easy known behaviors. Yes. And to keep to keep your rate of reinforcement high. And... Well, and and it just to just to put you know to go okay we we did something that you had to work a little longer before you earned your reinforcement and now let's do three or four quick or something that is their favorite behavior to do right three or four quick target touches or for my mare scout she loves head lowering okay she have really good duration in head lowering and she loves to do head lowering so if i'm working on and she's an energy conserver and not a big mover. Mm-hmm. So if we're working on movement, then I will pause and say, okay, now go ahead and do head lowering. And she just, oh yeah, I'm going to do head lowering. Right. And I like doing that sort of thing also because I find that creating that contrast, in a way, it's another form of balance in the training. Mm-hmm. So I create that contrast of we're doing this thing that's a little more difficult, whether it's more difficult because I'm going to ask for more or it's more difficult because it's going to require more effort or for my horses that tend to not stand quietly very easily. The opposite would be, you know, okay, and now we're going to go out and move around, but I'll, I'll create that little moment of contrast and it's, when Alex used to talk about taking breaks and training, it's like you take a little break from the duration and then you pop back into it. Mm-hmm. And, and also there's that contrast between the two types of behaviors. I found that really helpful instead of sort of just going, we are working on duration. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I found a lot more cooperation, a lot more enthusiasm in my learners when I use that kind of approach. So, so Cindy, we recently talked in the podcast about the 300 peck pigeon lesson, and you had a variation on the theme with that where you, you included building duration in grown-ups along with the building duration in the walking. So can you describe that strategy? Right. Well, when I started working on walking and the 300 pet pigeon walking, Porter didn't stop. He would just sort of, it, he would, it was like I was the drive through. He would just sort of reach down at my hand and, and rush on to the next set of steps because he wanted to hurry up and get to his next reinforcement point. So I created that contrast. I did two steps of walking and then one moment, and I would click and treat that. And then one moment of grown-ups, click and treat, four steps of walking. So I changed my increments I, in a different, at a different increment, uh, uh, two moments of grown-ups. So I think grown-ups, one, two, click, treat. And then we did six steps of walking and click, treat. And then grown-ups, one, two, three. And we built our way up to where he could do 58 steps before I clicked and he could stand in grownups for me counting to 29, which was a huge accomplishment for him. Yes. He, he and Percy are kind of kindred spirits in their own ways. And so he was that high headed vigilant looking for the goblins everywhere when he would walk. And it was fascinating how doing this and starting with such frequent reinforcement and then gradually extending out the duration really settled him he just settled into the walking and and it it made actually like a life change for him 
Yeah, because we need to remind people that Porter is a, a neurological head shaker and stress frustration makes the head shaking worse. Yeah, so, his nervous system was just sort of on hyperdrive all the time. And yeah. so every little bit of stimulus in the environment kind of just wound him up more. So I just, I felt like I needed that, again, that balance between the two behaviors to successfully build the duration in walking. He is not the horse that I originally met, not by any stretch of the imagination. And in terms of, I mean, he truly was the canary in the mind in terms of indicating when there was frustration in, in the learning process. Because in the early days, that just set off the head shaking. Right. I mean, it wasn't something I wanted, but in a way I was lucky because I had such an obvious indication when he was uncomfortable with things. So, you know, this 300 peck pigeon, I researched it, Alex. Do you remember how long this was ago? Because you had said, oh, I wrote extensively about that. So I went, first of all, in your writing book and I found it there. <laughs> but then I also went on the Internet do you know you wrote this in like 2007 or something like that? Does that make sense? I think I probably wrote about it before then. Yeah, 2006 maybe? I That's... think it was 2006. Yeah, 2006. Yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, this was 13 years ago. And by the way, as I'm reading Paul Chance's chapter on schedule of reinforcement, this type of, of schedule with a systematic change, like exactly like the one, Cindy, you were just describing, they call it progressive schedule. But anyway, 13 years later, Alex. Yes. Well, actually, it's more... When you look, when you look at 300 peck strategy, would... And since then, of course, you've been training with loops and you've been using the micro shaping, but... What do you think of it now? How would, would you still train like that? Would you, or would you adjust it somehow? Would you do things differently? Right, it's an interesting question. And I've thought about that. Would I, given the same situation, would I do the same thing? Would I have... Because you certainly I, got good results from it, but I was wondering about the emotional state of the animal throughout. And you said you trained like the 300 peck. I don't remember how many steps it were for your horses, but in three nights. So that was yeah. like quick results. Very quick results. I think given a similar set of conditions, I might consider reaching for the 300 peck pigeon lesson. I wouldn't take it out of repertoire, but I, I think uh, I'm better at, well, I don't want to say I'm better at, maybe I'm not better at, but in terms of building the glass ceilings, I'm better at recognizing that I can't just indulge in my favorite oh, that's so pretty, let me click and reinforce it. Oh, that's even prettier, let me click and reinforce it. And where we end up never doing more than a stride or two because every stride is more beautiful than the one before. So I think keeping the, the different types of criteria more in balance. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, I, I had a... I, also the loopy training, not only... Can you move on? But you should move on. You should move on. Yeah. I think and that's I, more prominent now. 
Yeah, and and Jesus was just talking. We were talking about the progressive reinforcement schedule, and that it's actually used. It's often used to break the behavior, which is like what? Yeah, come on. So, come? so they they keep asking for harder <laughs> ah, versions. Yes, until you can't do it because it's too hard. Right, right. You know, it's, it's, it's not worth it. Well, or you just can't do it. It's a bit like the puissant classes, you know. Okay, you can jump. You can jump twelve inches. You can jump a foot. Now, can you jump two feet? Now, can you jump three feet? Well, there's a point at which you can't. You physically can't jump any higher, and so the it, it the behavior breaks, and it's like, well, that's not what we're doing. We're picking. But you would have to go far. Well, we're picking up. We're picking one of the things that I find when I'm really working initially on duration, I want to pick a behavior that I'm comfortable asking my horse to do longer. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's really important because if I'm not comfortable saying, I'm asking you to back up, but I don't think you can back up more than three steps, I'm going to build in the glass ceiling. Do you know how I taught Robin to back up a lot of steps? That just popped into my mind since we're doing 300 peck pigeons. So we were at the boarding barn and turnout was was limited. So I wanted to maximize the amount of entertainment slash turnout time that my horses had. So the shavings pile where we would get the shavings to replenish the stalls was at the far end of the indoor arena. And so in the evening, Robin would be turned out in the indoor arena and I would take the wheelbarrow down to the far end to get the shavings. And often in the winter, the shavings were frozen. So it's ever so much fun to chip out uh, a wheelbarrow full of shavings. And it can take a while to chip it out and get a shovel full and put it in the wheelbarrow. And Robin would be beside me being mother's little helper. And he would initially and I really didn't have in mind oh I'm going to teach you to back I just didn't want to frustrate him by ignoring him so he would rock back a little bit and I would click and reinforce and he'd rock back again and I'd click and reinforce but what I was finding is he could rock back and he could take a step back but I couldn't get any shavings in the wheelbarrow because he was completing the behavior before I had even had a chance to pick up the, sh- the shovel again. And so I just started to extend the duration of, I need two or three steps so I can get one shovel full in. And then when I got two or three steps and I could get one shovel full plus chip a little bit more, and then could I chip out enough to get two shovels fulls in? And, and he would be happily backing. It wasn't very long, just a few evenings before he was backing the width of the arena. And then I would click and he would come over and get the treat and he'd back up again. And I'd put my shovelfuls of shavings in and he'd back the width of the arena plus start to turn the corner. And that was ever so much fun. So I had this horse who showed me that horses can back long distances because he would back the 60 feet across the arena, turn the corner and start down the long side. And I'd be filling the wheelbarrow. And then when I had the wheelbarrow full, he would come over and walk back with me the length of the arena. But instead of walking facing forward, he would spin himself around and back up the length of the arena as I walked the wheelbarrow back to the other end, which kept the whole thing really fun. 
So I have a horse who loves to back and will back long distances. I have a, I think you mentioned an important point when saying that, you know, they may physically not be able to, to do it. And I think we need to consider that, especially for the horses where we are talking about balance, because, you know, I may be cueing a canter depart and that that is sort of solid and I recue it again and now I want it longer. But after one, two strides, my horse will be losing his beautiful balance and is physically no longer able to continue. So at that point, and on the other hand, if he is in beautiful balance, I don't actually need to recue because he's in such a good balance that it goes on he goes on his own anyway. I don't need to bother if he's in the balance. That's where K's strategy comes into play because you ask for this beautiful, you, you've built a gorgeous up transition by clicking and yes, exactly. So you need to you need to be really patient in your developing the cue behavior have it really solid in a really good balance long enough before you ask for a recue or before you ask for a longer duration and, and not just looking at a, a counter stride, you know, in, in, in gross terms, in, in, in uh, how would you say, in a rough, right. roughly a counter stride. You need to look at the, that the first counter stride is perfectly balanced, that he would be able to continue the counter for a longer duration. And only if you get that every time, every time a perfect counter stride, you could say that only then are you allowed to recue. Because otherwise he may be losing it. And then he, you, you can't, he can't physically do the counter. And what you're recuing, and it seems really odd, but you're recuing an up transition. And when people first hear that, it's one of those that makes their head spin because they say, how can I cue an up transition when I'm already in the canter? But when you think about a canter depart, which is what you were doing when you cue an up transition when you're already cantering, it generates that next jump up through in the horse's body and the canter just gets better and better and better. It's how you build incredible quality in the gates. Would you make a difference? How would you differentiate recueing, like we've talked about, and keep going signals? If you have a cue for the behavior, you're cueing the behavior. And it, to me, it's not any different than you present a target, the horse touches the target, you click, you treat, you present the target again, and you can take out at once they know it, you can take out the click and treat multiple times. So you could present a target, the horse comes to the target, you move the target away, the horse moves to the target, you move the target away, the horse moves to the target, you click and treat. That's recueing the behavior. That's not a keep going signal. What's a keep going signal? <laughs> I think of the keep going signal as the cheering section. Oh, you're doing good. That's really great. Keep going and all. Uh, I mean, that's that's generally how I think of keep going signals. But how do you know it's a keep going signal and not just noise. I have, I want to jump in. Yes, do. So first, for the record, the date that I have on the original 300 Peck Pigeon post on uh, the Click Rider list was uh, January 18th, 2001. That makes, that makes more sense. Oh my God, it's almost 20 years, Alex. Yeah. Which is really confusing because I'm only 26, so I don't know. <laughs> 
but also I wanted I think we got kind of two things going on so so one I wanted to circle back to Michaela's point with regards to the animal physically being able to do it because I think that that is something that we can sometimes lose when we're on this quest whether whichever technique we're using whether it's recueing the same behavior six ten times in a row or clicking and treating in between each time within that session your animal has performed that behavior that number of times so muscles get tired and I, I think you, know, you may think of it as, oh, I've only asked for, for three steps or four steps, but if you've asked for four steps 10 times, your animal has now done 40 steps and the muscles, and the muscles get tired. This is something that, that I see, and I think, I think it's easy to miss that um, as, yes. as, as the trainer. I see it a lot when we're training sit stays in dogs. Um, holding a sit stay for a dog is a very isometric exercise, especially on certain times on slickish flooring. They're having to physically hold their legs and body together and upright. And it takes muscle strength. And even if you're putting your dog in a sit and going in and feeding them every 10 seconds, if they're trying to maintain that position for one minute or three minutes, on a training plans, from, from a training plan perspective, you have you know, five, 10 second or six, ten, see math's not my, not my strong point. So, ten, so ten, six, or six, 10 second sit stays, but the muscles have been doing oh, a 60 second sit stay and will get tired and you'll start to see failures happen at that point. Yes. The the challenge that I see or the reason why I prefer to teach with either no intermediate cueing or with a, a specific intermediate cue like you're describing with re-cueing the can or re-cueing the target. So thinking of it more as a, a behavior chain rather than a keep going signal is I like that it brings more awareness to the to the trainer that I'm cueing a specific behavior. I find that a lot of hum- with a lot of humans, myself included, it's really easy to slide into that cheerleading mode. Good, good, keep it up. Good boy, you're doing good boy, good boy. And we're not mentally thinking, we're, we're, again, we're still counting it as a whole one minute duration of behavior instead of a behavior that's being, that's being propped up every five seconds, every 10 seconds. Uh, it, I just, I find it, it's easier to be honest with yourself if you're giving that cue and we're still counting it. This is, you know, a two-step or a three-step repetition that I am re-cueing to get six steps, nine steps. I, I find I, for myself and for my students, it's easier to be systematic when we're in that brain space than when we're in yes. keep going signal brain space. Yes. So you, so you don't use much keep going signals, uh, Anna, or if, do you? Not on purpose. Not on purpose, yes. I yeah. have I have in the past and made all of these mistakes, which is why I decided that I was gonna find other solutions. Okay. Because again, if I if I have if I put my dog in a sit stay and I say, Good, 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 okay. Then everybody just jumped up. Um then <laughs> I in my mind I'm thinking, Oh, I've just trained this thirty second sit stay, but I haven't. I've trained I've trained this little staggered behavior. That I'm that I'm propping up. It's my cue. My cues are, are maintaining the behavior, and it's and it's cues that I'm less aware of. So then mm. the behavior tends to break down when those cues are absent, and and it would be perplexing. And then I watch myself on video, and I'm thinking, well, of course it's breaking down, Hannah. You fool. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not. You haven't trained what you think that you've trained. Right. And how is this different from the repeated cue? Sit. Good. Sit. Sit. Good. Sit. Sit. Sit sit good sit that you sometimes get and where you just think i'm sorry i blacked out a little bit while you were doing that because that was really tough um (laughs) 
because there, there's there's that sort of mindless repeating of the cue. It is absolutely mindless. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. it's like the riders that that you see them and they can't like just have their leg resting quietly on the side of their horse. Right. They end up pumping. They're like pumping every stride with their legs. And gee, how fun is that for everyone? Right. And is is your cue a starter button cue or is it a constant on cue? Are you aware of, of the difference and are you intentional in how you're using it? Right. Right. Um, I mean, for me, the, the sit, good sit is too, I just can't, I just can't. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just messy. It's just sloppy. It's not, yes. it, there's too much going on there. There's too much noise in that for it to be clear communication. And I'm, I'm going to prioritize clear communication over whatever that is. And so, so it's, it's either I have a sit with an identifiable unit of three seconds, and then I may cue repeated units, but the, you, you don't need to to good and then sit again and then re it's there's there's no benefit there it just makes it fuzzy and loud that's right. just to satisfy our desire and need to verbalize really in my experience i i don't use a lot of verbal cues especially with the horses because i like to just sort of do nonsensical chatter while i'm working with them so i want the other cues, the other things that I may use, tactile cues and visual cues and things to be the salient, the relevant cues to my horses, because I want to be able to just sit there and say how brilliant they are and how cute they are and, and so on. But we're a verbal species and our learners are not. And so we end up stuck in this thinking that the, the words are what are getting the behavior to happen. And in many cases, you know, people want praise to be the big meaningful reinforcer. And for most of the learners, they're not. It's a very, it's a challenge for them. So it, I think the biggest, to me, the biggest hangups with duration that when I learned, like Hannah says, to really clean up my act, at least as clean as I've gotten it, my animals learn duration really well. It, so that the, the biggest impediment was sort of my own hangups about it, wanting to bring in all that sort of extra. So that makes me want to ask. So, so part of it was the verbal static. So why do you think that helped clean up the duration? What is it about getting rid of all that excess noise that helped? It allowed me to focus really be be more aware of what I was doing with the part with my body and the things that that actually are inherently more meaningful to the horse that give the horse more information and clearer information okay and the dog as well so that brings me to the next question because most of you work with both horses and dogs so let me ask that question of when we're talking about building duration, do you approach it any differently when you're working with a dog than when you're working with a horse? Is it, are they the same strategies? Are there things that you have learned from working with dogs that have been really helpful to take to the horses or vice versa? Jane, you do a lot with both the horses and, and the dogs. Would you, do you wanna reflect a little bit? Because I know you've, you have often talked about the differences in training dogs and training horses 
in terms of the relationship towards food, for example. So what... It's funny, because I was just... I've never thought about whether I train them differently or not. And the first things that pop up into my head are, it depends more on what I'm training and how important the criteria for the behavior is. I mean, one of the the disadvantage, one of the challenges with horses is they have these great big long necks and they can stand on a mat and still reach a lot of things in the barn, (laughs) which um, can get in the way of quietly standing on the mat. And so then you have to decide how you're going to set your criteria so that they're not, you know, I'm still standing on the mat, but I'm pulling all the halters and blankets off of everything I can reach. So, you know, is it a convenience behavior? Is it a utility behavior? If you've got, you know, working with a service dog where we train really long duration on a mat, I mean, an hour or more. Right. But I'm very clear that if the dog wants to get up and turn around and change position and stretch and lie back down, that's fine. So I really want them lying down. Um, but I don't care that they, you know, it's not like an obedience situation where there is a position that they are supposed to hold and they're supposed to use, you know, those muscles, as Hannah was talking about, to keep them in a very careful position. You know, they can just zonk out and sleep on the mat if they want to. And if they need to get up and scratch an itch and turn around and lie back down on the other side, that's fine. But as far as horses versus dogs changing, um, uh, off the top of my head, I, I don't perceive a, a difference in the two. Yeah, I think you're right that it's more what is the behavior than what is the species. And that that actually brings me back. I had little things going off in my head while everybody else was talking <clears throat> because I I use that um, Kay Lawrence's units of behavior to train duration a lot and I really really like it and it was because it was effective with Percy when other things weren't when he was young it was a really good way and and the reason I thought of it and I was glad Michaela brought it up was because when Dominique asked how do you when you're training backing clicking one leg or are you clicking two how many legs and it all depends on what your unit of behavior is are we counting seconds are we counting steps are we counting how many shovels you can get into the wheelbarrow? Yeah. Yeah. If you're counting and if your criteria, and you have to know your criteria so that you know whether you've lost it or not. Because as soon as not backing straight, you know, okay, so we back three steps and we can also back six steps, but all of a sudden we're not backing straight anymore, which could be a muscular issue as, as Hannah brought up then your criteria is different. And is that important to you? Is it, you know, is what is important keeping your horse entertained so you don't care if it's straight or not? And I know Alex is probably cringing because of course it's important. (laughs) But, or is it, you know, a a physical exercise that you're trying to build the structure? Is it a mental exercise that you want to make sure the horse understands that straight or the dog understands that straight is important? So defining criteria in building duration, I think is, is a really important piece of it all. So defining criterion in building duration is a really important piece of it all. I think that's both a great statement and a great place to stop for now. 
Our panel of trainers has given us a lot to think about in the coming week. So we'll pick up again next week with more of our anniversary celebration. And remember, the celebration of our one-year anniversary of podcasting is extending out to the end of the month. We have a webinar with Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz on March 31 at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. If you enjoyed the audio postcard on schedules of reinforcement that Jesus sent us recently from the Art and Science of Animal Training Conference, you'll want to be certain to join us. If you attend the live event, you can ask your own questions or just eavesdrop in on the conversation. And if you can't make it to the live event, we will be recording it so you can listen to it afterwards. I know whenever we have these webinars with Jesus, I'm always glad that we do record them. I find myself listening to them many times over, and every time I do, I hear new connections that I wasn't aware of the first time I listened to them. We have an early bird price for people who sign up before the webinar airs. Just go to equosity.com to register. I hope you'll join us. And next week, we'll continue on with our anniversary celebration. So in the meantime, have fun with your training.